We are beginning the epistle of Romans. It'll take us a while to get through it. But as we get into Romans, as with most of the epistles and gospel I teach, we're going to emphasize the practical side. A lot of the things in the scripture I believe is important, and you can study on your own, but other things you need as moral living, righteousness, not sinning. All of these things we need to know first. If we don't understand them, everything else in Scripture will do you no good. If you as a Christian do not live morally upright, if you're in some gross sin, the Word of God will judge you and condemn you. It will not help you. And so we're looking at the practical side of the Word. These other things, many times, which are good and interesting, you can study on your own. But we must warn, admonish, encourage, and teach the truth for the generation we live in. So we live in dark times that are going to get darker and a lot of false Christianity or most false Christianity. So we will emphasize more warning and admonishing about deception and lying and false Christianity that is out in the world. As we've said before many times, multitudes, millions will come to the Lord at the day of judgment calling him Lord and he will call them lawless ones. And they will answer him and say, but we did good. We prophesied. We did many wonderful things in your name. He never challenged them or answered them for their works or what they were doing. He judged them according to their morals and according to their sinfulness. And he called them lawless. He said, you are lawless. See, the Christian is not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of Christ. And both systems demanded moral uprightness. Christians have no license to sin. They will not be covered for practicing gross sin. Scripture warns against it. And many of the false teachers want you to believe that once you say this little prayer, you're a believer and you can choose whether you want to be a disciple or not. These are demonically inspired and they're going to stand speechless when they're cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. It said it was made for, originally, for the devil and his angels. God enlarged the borders for the wickedness of mankind. So we want to take the word of God seriously because we live in a time that very few people are real Christians and a a lot of religious people saying, Lord, Lord, don't know the Lord, or they backslidden, and they think they're okay. And the great deception is coming upon us, and Jesus asked the question himself, because he didn't know it. Remember, when Jesus was in the flesh, he was limited. He emptied himself of the use of divinity. He didn't know when he would return. He said, when he comes, will he find true faith among the earth. He knows now because he's restored to his glory and Godhead. But he asked that question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Will he find real Christianity? And then he said, it will be as the time of Noah and Lot. Well, we only see two righteous people and their families obeyed them, so they got in. But it was Noah and Lot 
that were righteous in their generation in the area they were in. Actually, nowhere in the whole world. 120 years he preached or warned the people and not one of them listened to him. And the Lord said, that's how it's going to be at the end. So Psalm says, a thousand shall fall at your right hand and 10,000 at your left. But it will not come your dwelling if you make the most high your habitation. So we're seeing many people, and he also said, the apostles, there'll be a falling away from the church, not from the nominations. They're already cursed as a whole. They're already false Christianity. Out of 2 billion people, I hope we have a 50 million or so that are really saved, or 100, but it ain't no 2 billion, let me tell you. Yet they say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you, and you're cursed of my Father, and you're lawless, which means you do not obey the law of Christ. So all of their good works and ministries mean nothing to God. So if the heart is not right, like I'm saying, the Word of God will do you no good. And if you stay in sin, the Word of God will make you uncomfortable and you will start to avoid it, and you will harden your conscience, and then you will become a reprobate, and then you will be twice dead if you ever were a Christian. So getting back, we want to see the practical application of the word. When we come across certain scriptures, if they convict us and disturb us, you better do something about it. Many people just ignore it and go on to the next subject. They will be lost at the end. James says, he said, uh, he that guilty of one point is guilty of all. He's talking about gross sin. We're not talking about petty things. We're talking about everybody and Christians. And a sinner knows what gross sin is until he sears his conscience. He has a law within himself. But the Christian knows more. And Paul names 20-some sins so we call them gross sins. And he says, don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. If you practice and do these things, you'll not make it to heaven. Why won't you make it to the kingdom? Because you're not a Christian. See, that's what people don't want to believe. They think they can live and grow sin for years and still be a Christian. They have deceived themselves. The word says swift judgment comes upon them. Not outwardly, inwardly. They die spiritually. Jesus said, the Father will cut you off if you don't bear fruit. So a Christian is obligated, and it's his duty. If he doesn't do this, he will not make it to the kingdom of heaven. So the Bible talks of faith and belief as the beginning. It is not the alone. It is not the only thing that's needed. Because the multitudes that he casts and says, you're cursed to my father away from me, they were saying, Lord, Lord. They believed he was the son of God. It didn't do him a bit of good at the end, no more than it did the devils know who he was. So a Christian must bear eventually, uh, as to some degree, spiritual fruit. He must be obedient to the Lord, or he's got the wrong kind of Christianity. So he cannot be a believer and not be a disciple. See, they try to separate him. There is no separation. If you come to the Lord, you obey him. That's what is implied. If you don't, then it's lip service. Doesn't mean nothing. As Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? 
because he's not your Lord if you don't. So we have to have spiritual fruit. We must have spiritual obedience. We must continue to follow the Lord, and we must have spiritual works. This is what Paul and James, they were not in conflict. They were in perfect agreement. Paul said, if you're under grace, you obey righteousness. He said, if you don't obey righteousness, then there's death for you. He didn't say, oh, because you've said a prayer, you're saved forever. These are lying gospels. And it's not the gospel getting people saved. That's just the beginning. We'll see a lot of it is false. It's a false gospel. And we will see this immediately in this lesson, probably, from some of the things that Paul's teaching. So Romans, it is believed, uh, was written somewhere between 53 and 60, maybe, by Paul. There is no proof that Peter or Paul were founders of that church. Whatever the theology and teaching is, it's false. Paul had not as yet, and he had been preaching the gospel for 20-some years. He had never been to Rome. See, that's what he was planning on going. And he said he was going to come to Rome to preach the gospel. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So most likely the churches at Rome, we say churches because they were mainly home groups. They were not buildings like today that keep going on for three generations, whether the people get saved or not, because God has no grandchildren. If they are true Christians, then they can continue to gather as far as the Lord is concerned. But most of them are dead because their parents and grandparents that may have been Christians, they have not followed suit. They have not received the gospel and obeyed the Lord, but they keep the religiosity going and the ritual and the ceremony, which is useless spiritually. So it was most likely founded by the Jews and proselytes who were at Pentecost and heard Peter's preaching when the Spirit fell upon them. The Bible names almost 20 areas, and one of the last ones it names is Rome. So at the, the feast, the Holy Jewish Feast and the Day of Atonement, the proselytes and Jews living throughout the Roman world would try to come to Jerusalem for the high day. And so they were Jews, and a proselyte was basically a Gentile that became a Jew. Now, under Christianity, it's not so. It's a different system. But back then, you were circumcised and you were baptized if you were going to become a Jew, especially if you were born and your mother was not Jewish, okay? So that was one likely avenue that the churches started. And some believe, possibly, that when Paul preached in Macedonia and Asia, which is now Turkey, the Asia they're talking about, that some of his converts, as they matured, they sent evangelists out, and they established churches in Rome. And this is one of the reasons Paul wants to go there. He's been a Christian for, like I say, 20-some years. The Roman church has been there for 15 years or so. And so he wants to go and check on them. If he thought Peter was the apostle and leader of Rome, he would not have interfered. The apostles usually didn't interfere with other foundational apostles. 
But Peter's main ministry was in Judea with the Jewish apostles. We'll find this later. He made some trips, but mainly he lived in Judea and Jerusalem, and they were the elders of the Jerusalem church. So Paul felt no qualms, and actually he felt obligated to go to them and check on them. And it's interesting, we'll find out later what he says when he wants to come to them. So these are the two likely avenues that Christianity was preached to those home churches in Rome. Okay, And so we see this after Peter and Paul were dead and Jerusalem's the temple destroyed a few years later. Most of the apostles and elders stayed in Israel. They were still witnessing for 40 years after Christ. They were still given opportunity in Jerusalem and other places. Paul, as a Gentile apostle, especially called to a unique ministry, he also went to the Jews for two or three Sabbaths. But mainly the apostles, the 12, they stayed most of their life. They were fixed in Jerusalem, and they were the foundation. And even though Paul was gifted in many ways, he did not supersede their authority. He got more revelation at times, and we see him sort of defend this. He sort of says, well, they didn't add nothing to me. But he said, but Jesus told me to go up and submit to them, lest I preach in vain. So Christ established the 12 for the foundation, and everything had to be checked that if any major preaching or different gospel, they would challenge it. And so that's what he did. He may not have wanted to go and didn't think it necessary from his own standpoint. He knew as much as they did and in some areas more, but Jesus told him, he says, you go down there. And he said, if I hadn't have gone, I would have preached in vain. And the church said, what? We are going to mainly minister to the Jews, and we approve of you going to the Gentiles. We recognize you're called for this. And he was especially called, and that was, was what unique about his ministry. In the long run, his ministry affected more people in the nations. And by the time he was dead and Peter, the majority of Christians were probably Gentiles and they were becoming less and less after the destruction of Jerusalem and the true Christians left and most of them were Jewish. They spread within the Roman Empire. And by that time, a good percentage were more Gentiles than were Jews. Within a hundred years or so, there weren't that many Jews anymore, but it was open to them. So we see that Paul's ministry was very unique, and God called him for that reason, okay? He was not a replacement of the Judas. This is a lie propagated by Calvinism, who teaches and perverts Paul's teaching on faith. They say you're saved by faith alone. That's a lie. It's nowhere in Scripture. If you don't obey and bear fruit, your lip service doesn't save you. and doesn't keep you. And so we got to see when you came to the Lord, it was understood you will obey him and follow him. It was not a license to sin. It was not a ticket to heaven and go back into the world and live as you please. These were teachings inspired 
by demons. And they're very prevalent today. And so those are the multitudes that are going to say, Lord, Lord, and think they're Christians. And they do a lot of church work and a lot of humanitarian work. But Jesus doesn't even consider it. He considers them lawless and wicked. See, he don't consider them his. So that's going to open their eyes uh, when it's too late. So this is what we're seeing. After the destruction of Jerusalem, 40 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, roughly, then they left. They were forced to leave. They were warned by their own prophets to leave Jerusalem a few months before Titus destroyed it. And they did. Eventually, as we know, Philip settled, it's believed, in Ethiopia or Africa. Years later, Thomas is well recorded, and even by the false churches, he's venerated for being the apostle to India. And so until that period, until God says it's enough, now I've given them plenty of time, now I will abolish that system, and he's working with the church age, we call the age of grace. He's not even wanting the Jew in particular. They're under a punishment of God, and we've seen it over 2,000 years. As long as they elevate themselves and think they are chosen and do not serve Jesus Christ, they're under the wrath of God. They're not saved another way, as many of these false evangelical groups think they have their special salvation. No, that's only to the Jew that comes to the Lord. That does not apply to the average Jew who does not accept Jesus Christ as his Lord. So as we begin Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul said he was a bondservant. Let's read it. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Often he'll use gospel of God, gospel of Christ, of Jesus, because he sees they're one and the same. Okay, He was a bondservant. A lot of people don't like the word, so they tried to translate it a lot differently. But actually, the literal word means a slave. There are some places you can get love servant, but you're still a slave if you're the Lord's. Even if you're a child, you're his. And it was understood by him and the Roman world what a slave was. You were at your master's bidding all the time. He run your life. And so that's what he want Christians to understand. Jesus didn't establish democracies. He didn't say, I'll tell you to do this and you can vote on it. Prophets and apostles were called of God. And if they didn't obey the call, they were judged. It was called rebellion. They weren't given opinions. And that's what we have to understand about Christianity. When you come to the Lord, we're his. And he has a right to run our life. And if we think he's going to give us a ticket to heaven and we can still live in the world and run our own life, we're going to be deceived at the day of judgment. So it meant slave. He was at Jesus' complete command. He was called an apostle. Now, he didn't act as an apostle. A lot of people don't understand this for maybe almost 10 years. He preached the gospel immediately because he knew the law and he knew the prophecies. But he wasn't referred to as an apostle or recognized as one until about 10 years later. He was a preacher and teacher. So God calls people 
but he doesn't prepare them all at the same time. When he called the 12 apostles, it took them three and a half years and the day of Pentecost before they started acting as apostles. Until then, they had to observe and be trained under Jesus. So God, when he saves some people, he tells them what their calling's going to be. And then he matures them. As they mature, he gifts them, and they begin to exercise these gifts. So we could not expect a person to get saved yesterday, and all of a sudden he's an apostle today. Because an apostle was chief and authority. He could correct pastors and shepherds and others. Local churches had to refer to him. And that doesn't come by instant salvation or coming to the Lord. That comes by experience. And we'll see this. Every mature Christian, the Bible implies, can be a teacher if he meets the qualifications. But every person, Christian, cannot be an apostle or prophet unless the Lord calls them. So these are unique and special. And Paul's apostleship was specially different than the twelve. And by the time he's preaching and into this for 20 years, we could find in Scripture at least 22 people who had apostle ministries. They weren't of the 12, but we'll see they established, and some prophets, they established Scripture. And John was the last apostle of the 12, and when he died, there's no more Scripture. There's no more added apostles as far as writing Scripture. But an apostle is still, and can be today, is a special set messenger, okay? He is a pioneer. He's a foundation layer. Usually he went in the beginning to certain areas like Paul did and proclaimed the gospel where it had not been. And then he stayed with them a while or had other mature Christians disciple them. And then they appointed shepherds and pastors, and he may go on to another area. He did not get people saved and leave them alone like they do today. You don't get people saved. That's just the entrance. People talk too much about, oh, I was saved, I was saved then. It means nothing. Are you saved now? Are you still following the Lord? That's the issue. See, most people, if they believe in once saved, always saved. Well, we don't care if they die. At least they're saved. We just go, that is not preaching the gospel. That's preaching a heresy. Okay? We'll find out what the gospel is later, more so, through this apostle. So, where could be apostles today? We would call them, a, if they were really an apostle, they would be a true missionary. They would not be just sent by denominations to plant corn and live with the people. No, they were authorities in themselves. And they basically didn't answer at first to anybody because they established the foundation. So this was what Paul did for many years. He established churches, then he went around and checked on them and made sure they were not heresies. If they were, he corrected them. If they weren't living right, he corrected them. He could remove prophets and pastors if they were in sin. We see his illustration how he turned some people over to Satan and reproved the church for not doing it. The elders, the teachers who were supposed to handle these things. So he did it, and he had the right to do it as an apostle. Okay. 
they were the equivalent of the Old Testament prophet. And the New Testament prophet at Paul's time was very close. He was second in authority, and he could go to certain places and reprove and correct and remove. But often he dealt mainly with those who were saved and maturing, where the apostle dealt with both. He got people saved, and he matured them. He did a little bit of uh, jack-of-all-trades. As we've said before, the apostle, the fivefold word ministries, the apostle had all of them. But those at the lower did not. You have many teachers. All mature Christians should be teachers. But some are elevated and gifted more, and they're at the bottom. They teach. They don't have to evangelize as a whole. They can give a witness, and they can share the gospel. And then you have the pastor, a shepherd. He was called a bishop then, and he ruled over the local group with help of elders. Usually they had more than one, and he was up a little higher. So they're the ones that decided whether a teacher could be established in the group. If they didn't meet the qualifications, they refused to put a novice as a teacher. So they were the ones that checked them. And next you had the evangelist whose calling was mainly to go out, preach the gospel, make sure that these babies are growing and being taught. If he can't do it, he has to appoint our mature Christians to do it so he can go and evangelize. And then the prophet, like I say, is mainly for the whole body of Christ. Uh, He corrects things. He reproves. He brings special words, blessing and of judgment. And so often and mainly, it's to the body of Christ. And like we say, the apostle does all of them. An apostle is a prophet. Apostles and prophets, like the Old Testament prophet, that claim to their office, they had to have been called and seen the Lord, either in vision or appearance, He established what they were, and people don't do that by choice. So apostles and prophets have to be called from the Lord. They're not called by the body of Christ, okay? Okay. Mature Christians are capable of teaching the Word of God, okay? So God called in the Old Testament. The prophets were called by dreams and visions. They preached and taught the gospel As they knew it, it was a different standard under the law. Paul calls himself a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle. He actually says, woe unto me if I don't preach. So he understood that his calling was not by choice. He would be rewarded for doing his duty, and he would be judged severely. He could lose his walk if he didn't obey the Lord as an apostle. See, so he understood what it meant to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were set apart, consecrated like in the old, the priests were in the temple. But God, Christ himself, consecrated and sanctified the apostle and prophet for their unique ministries. Unique because it was different and there's great authority with it that the others in the church did not have. It said, first apostles, then prophets, and thirdly, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. See, they were grouped together. And then after that, all of the miracles, exhortation, giving, showing mercy, other special gifts, 
they came into play, speaking of tongues and so forth, but they didn't have the chief authority. The ministry of the word takes precedent over miracles, healings, and everything. The ministry of the word gets a person saved, keeps a person saved if they obey it. Miracles and signs can cause a person to wake up and look at something, and he can heal them. They can have demons cast out of them, but they don't take it into the next realm. But the word of God is eternal. The principles that it teaches will be carried in. The other ministries are mainly for earthly things to help the Christian in his life living the Christian way. He's gifted for this life. We don't need the ministry of giving when we get to heaven. We'll own everything. We don't need the ministry of mercies because everybody will know the Lord as the Lord knows them. They will have no need spiritually. They'll be like the angels. But the word of God endures forever. Whatever he says, we see the fruit of it now and for eternity. Okay? So he called himself an apostle and said, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. They had to obey. Moses didn't like being called, and he tried to get out of it, and God got angry with him and appointed his brother, a prophet, to Moses because he could speak well. But he didn't let Moses off the hook. He said, you're going to be the leader, and you're going to be more than a prophet. He actually told him later, we see that he said, I speak the prophets in visions and dreams, but not so with Moses, whom I speak face to face. He had a ministry that was much higher than prophets, establishing the law and the rules and the regulation. So this is what we see. So Paul's apostleship was unique in a sense. It was to the Gentile, all the nations, and not just the Jews, who eventually would not listen. They had to come to the Lord like the Gentiles did. But as we always say, he was unique in his ministry and had special revelation at the time until John got the book of Revelation, but he still was not a replacement. He was still not better than the 12. They served their purpose. Out of the 12, half of them we never hear of again, but they served the Lord and their reward might be greater than Peter or Paul's. They may not have had the recognition They may have obeyed the Lord in a way. So he said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, and rewards. It would astound people if they knew what God knows. See, he knows motive, intent, everything. So people do not. They choose and judge with an inferior knowledge of what's going on. Okay. So he said, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. So he was a teacher a shepherd, an exhorter, and as such, uh, he had to mature people and and bring them in. He wanted all Christians to be mature. Does that mean at the minimum, all mature Christians should be able to share and teach the gospel to anybody? They may not have a group. It may be one-on-one. It may be witnessing to a heathen, but that's what God is working for You do not have baby Christians for 20 and 30 years. You have false Christians and disobedient ones have fallen away. If a person is not mature after five or so years, he's faulted. 
It's his fault. He can blame it on not having good teachers. That's still his fault. The Lord puts the responsibility on him. It says, if you desire to know the truth and you seek me with all your heart, you'll find it. God will answer. But if he waits around, he'll get nothing. Old and New Testament. Jeremiah says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Hebrews says, if you diligently seek the Lord, you'll be found, be rewarded. So people who don't diligently seek him and obey their conscience and what truth they have, they can be easily deceived. And Jesus didn't say, oh, feel sorry for him. Most of the world's going to be deceived and end up in the lake of fire, and they are held responsible. There were false teachers that led them astray, but he wouldn't have led them astray if they had followed the Lord and the light that they had. We find no scripture that says the poor sinner, oh, the poor person. We find God's judgment and wrath pronounced upon them if they don't follow the Lord. That's what we find, okay? So we see a lot of false gospels out there today. So he went, he took several years after his call and acted mainly as a preacher and teacher before he was acting in the real office of an apostle. And it's funny, he, like I say, that people think he had the maturity overnight. He didn't. But he was trained according to the law, and he was zealous, and he seemed to move quicker. He could preach and teach because he knew the law. And all of the new covenants based on the law and prophets. And once the Lord opened his eyes, after he spent three days not eating, drinking, when the Lord appeared to him, all of a sudden the Spirit began to open his understanding. And he saw all of a sudden he was killing true Christians who he thought were heretics, who he thought was false. He thought he was serving God. And he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. See, according to the law, he was doing what he should have been doing to some degree. But evidently, uh, when the Lord told him, you're kicking against the goads, I mean, the Holy Spirit was trying to enlighten him and convict him, and he was resisting. He was fighting it. And finally, the Lord dealt with him in a strong way. Okay. Okay, verse 2. This gospel of God, he says, was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So everything that Jesus was and is and everything in the church, mainly the foundations laid through the prophets, the law, Moses, and the prophets. And so we see even Jesus, when he resurrected, and a couple of the disciples didn't recognize him, he quoted scripture to him. He said, well, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms spoke of me. And in the scripture said, then he opened their understanding and they recognized who he was. That's how it happens. True Christianity is a revelation. Many people that think they're Christians and quote scripture have no revelation. They think they're saved and following the Lord. They're not. He opened their eyes because of their sin. That happened to the Pharisees. They knew most of the law, and they perverted the law, and yet they still could not see what Jesus was. And Jesus said, if you search the scripture, he meant the law, you would see me. But then later he says, your sin has blinded you. You will die in your sins. 
for you will not believe who I am. So that's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's not intellectual knowledge being a Christian. That's a part of. But God gives the gospel, and then he gives spiritual understanding. Study alone and intellect will not get you saved nor keep you saved. See, it appeals to the mind. But then the mind, something has to happen to the spirit. God uses them. So we can't know what the gospel really is unless we intellectually read part of the gospel. But we can't see the real truth of spiritual matters unless the Lord opens our understanding. Okay, so that's why it's important not to walk in sin, not to stay in sin. We talk about gross sin. If we do, if we die at that time, we'll go straight to hell. We'll go eventually to the lake of fire because death and hell will be cast into the lake. So do not fool yourselves. Many people think God's going to be patient with them. He is not. The more is given, much is required. He warns of those who go deeper and backslide. The very few of them come on back. The ones that come back are novices and beginners, and they started the race, and they didn't last too long. Then somewhere in their life, they remember the implanted word, and their conscience bothers them, and they come back to the Lord and meet his conditions. Okay? So the Holy Scriptures in verse 3 spoke the prophets concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh. He immediately states, so the Jews could understand, when he's preaching to Roman, one of the main reasons he's sending the epistle is you had a bunch of Jewish Christians and you had a bunch of Gentile, and they were often in conflict with each other and thought one was better. So he wants to straighten this out. But first of all, it's the Jew first. And so let's take a break right now.